event industry is probably one of the most widely affected industries. And luckily for us, the running industry is able to take some steps forward. So today I'm here joined by my special guest to kind of chat about uh, what some of these races are going to look like, uh, what, what some of the race directors have done already uh, for, the, for some of their events, and kind of hopefully give some answers to, you know, to some of the runners' questions that at least I've been receiving. I know probably a lot of you have been receiving. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Trail Life Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Stoner. In today's special roundtable conversation, we are speaking in regards to the state of events or what races will potentially look like over the next couple months. To help me out with those conversations, I've brought in a few race director friends of mine, David Janovic and Sam Lyons from the Recess Factory in Colorado, Mike Bone from Spectrum Sports here in Southern California, Daniel Weissauer from Xterra SoCal, and Julie Naish from Era Viper Running in Arizona. But before we get into conversations, this episode is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. For over 65 years, Jack's Outdoor Gear has been helping people get outside and have fun. Jack's is your go-to place for clothing, footwear, and gear for every adventure. Visit their website at jacksgoods.com for more information and store locations. That's jacks, J-A-X, goods.com. Thanks, guys, for being here. I really appreciate uh, all your time. Absolutely. Before we, we get into our first topic, I, I just want to make a disclaimer statement because I think it's important that we don't have all the answers for everything that's happening, right, as far as what races are going to look like, you know, three months from now. But what we hopefully can give the runners or anybody listening in on this is kind of an idea of the direction that we as event producers are having to go, you know, what does it look like as far as the restricted numbers for races? What are the, you know, how are aid stations changing? How are, you know, how's the start finish line changing? Are we required to do masks um, at the start line? So I, again, what, what is guidelines for today is not going to be guidelines for tomorrow or even two months down the road. So um, I'm just hoping that this kind of gives us kind of a a starting point um, for discussions here moving forward. But now that I've got that out of the way, um, I do want to talk to uh, Dave and Sam first and kind of get their opinions first. So Dave, you got you guys did the Nisawa Firecracker 4th of July run. And I kind of want to get your initial um, idea as far as how that worked with your packet pickups and then how that led into like how you guys started. Because you guys are like had what? 2000 there at that but event typically that, that event has about 2500 and we limited it to a thousand not to jump ahead but we closed our registration a full week in advance which we never do um so we didn't have day of registration just to simplify things for us and for you know economics on it and we didn't order you know anything more than we needed so economically it made sense for us to close registration a week before mm-hmm. um and um, in this area that we did that event, the county um, required that any businesses who were reopening submit a preparedness plan. So we put together a preparedness plan. It was 13 to 15 pages or something. 
and it went over everything. It had maps of what our new start finish li start line would look like, our new finish line, what our packet pickup process was. Um, it had all the details in it on why we're closing registration a week early, um, route details, all that stuff. The main thing that we changed on the event was the way that it operated. Um, our goal was a thousand people. We got them in. We we knew it was going to take a lot more work for a lot less money and we had to be out there a lot longer. So we did tea times basically and did the math on it and said, okay, we'll send out um, 25 runners. So you staggered, you staggered by 25s. We did 25 people every 15 minutes for 10 hours or something. Um, and what was the response? I mean, as far as with a thousand people, how long did it take you to do groups of 25, you know, for every 15 minutes? And did, did you see people kind of get upset with how well, it took no, that long? We had no? zero upset people. The way that we did it is everybody had registered. We already had 300 and some registrations, close to 400 registrations in January or earlier than that. And like, you know, people register for this event the same day for the next year, at least 400 people register a year in advance for it. Um, so we had all those people and, and then we kept driving registration. Now we could include start times in registration. Yeah, that was one of the things that we looked at too, is as we've sold, you know, our registrations for, you know, six months down the road, it's like, all right, well, if we start looking at time slots, how do you go, how do you go back and have people select those time slots? We knew we were going to, we're going to have to go staggered starts in some degree. Now, luckily for us, and, and I know, uh, you know, Mike and, and Julie and Dana, we don't have a thousand people events, right? We're more, we're more in the hundreds, right? So it's a little bit easier to do the yeah. 25 yeah. to 50 at any given point in time. Um, yeah. So Julie, what did, what did you guys do for your last race? Did you, did you end up doing any kind of selecting a start time at all? Or did you already just have, have it placed out as we're just going to do groups of 20 or whatever through, through a certain extended? Yeah. So what we did um, for all three of our events is wave start times. We had 10 runners every five minutes and wave start times were assigned by your ultra sign up predicted finish time. Um, fastest runners going first. And the reason why we did that is to reduce passing on course. So the idea was if the fastest runners start first, that's going to do nothing but increase the distance and the distancing between people as the race progressed. Um, we did allow for runners to request a wave. So people that um, were running with a spouse or running with their family, um, they were able to submit a request to us to um, run with somebody. And in that case, we would take the slowest runner's predicted start time and we would put the faster runner into the wave start with the slower runner. You know, I, I just want to add to that. I mean, it's a lot more work, but uh, for for our smaller scale races, it's it's actually really nice uh, yeah. that you get the one-on-one -on -one almost with, you know, 25 sure. people every single time. Um, and, you know, I think it, it's that little extra attention that the runners might get, little extra detail at the race to pre-race talk, um, their ability to ask questions too. Um, you know, as much as we want to keep the six foot distance, it, it is in a way more engaging that way. Yeah, that's a great point. That's well, right. And that's one thing that David did is he, he gave out his personal information to every single one of the runners that signed up. I mean, which obviously we wouldn't normally do that. Uh, but he gave him cell phone number, everything. So um, call me at any time you want in, in the 24 hours, you know, oh. call me any time, day or night. We're here for you guys. You are our lives. This isn't a hobby to us. 
It's not a game. This is what we do for a living. So we're taking it seriously. And it, it just that extra touch of customer service is going to go a long way for all of us right now. It did for us. It did for us. And it, we've always kind of been that way, you know, but not like this. I'm like, shit, I'm sending out my cell phone to, you know, thousands of people. <laughs> and um, they're very respectful for it. And mm-hmm. the main thing with this event that I was happy with is that we had zero bad complaints. Um, we had numerous people from all levels of um, the COVID spectrum, people who were, um, you know, very um, concerned for health and safety. And we had, of course, people who really didn't care about it. And we took them all the same. We treated everybody the same. And uh, and we had a lot of people from that, that were on the spectrum of being very concerned for health and safety that had called us and we have a bunch of emails of people saying, Hey, we really appreciate it. You guys, the process was perfect. Um, we were, we were concerned that we were, we were nervous about how you're going to do this. And it, and it turned out to be very, very well done. Well, let me, so I, I, um, I want to get into, uh, some more of the start, start line and, and face mask requirements and stuff, but I want to ask, you know, Mike and Daniel and Julie really quick, like what your thoughts are. Cause you know, David said he didn't do online registration no, in person. or in, yeah, in, sorry, not online, but we, in we didn't do day of registration, right. Um, Julie, so. did, did you guys do on-site registration? And then, you know, from Mike and Daniel's perspective that, you know, haven't had a chance to do an event yet. What are your guys' thought processes on doing event registration on race day? Or is it, you think it feels safer just to cut everybody off before we, you know, everybody's kind of huddled in at the at registration? Because it, it does, it does kind of allow people to congregate at, a, at the registration booth, right? Yeah, so we, um, we did allow race day registration. Initially, we said that we were not, but we found that um, because our participant limits were restricted on all of our races and because we wanted to be as flexible as possible with participants. So anybody, even race day that said, I don't feel comfortable, I'm not feeling well, we gave them either a deferral or full credit. And so the week of the event, um, our first two events, we were limited to 175 participants per. Um, So, you know, we had probably 20, 20 people per event that the week of wanted to, um, that didn't feel comfortable or for whatever reason weren't going to attend. Um, So we did end up allowing people to register race day. Um, Our two events in Silverton uh, really uh, have a lot of history behind them. And there's a lot of locals that run those events every single year. I mean, one of our events is in its 44th year. So there's just a, a lot of people that just show up race day. Um, And so how we ended up handling that was we left registration open on ultra sign up. And so if they wanted to race day register, we had them go in and join the wait list on ultra sign up. And then we would manually add them into the event. Um, That way we didn't have to have money exchange hands. We didn't have to hand them a clipboard and have them fill out all of their information standing there in line, like you said. Um, so it was basically just like, what's your name? I'm going to write it down. Put yourself on the ultra sign up wait list. When I see you, I'm going to add you into the event and then you'll automatically be registered. And then um, an area you know, where we've kind of been working through the last three events was then adding those people into a wave start. Um, which can definitely be challenging. Um, So we would initially add them to the last wave of their particular 
event because we have multiple distances in each of our races. Um, so yeah, then, you know, it was just having to manually track um, when a wave was full at the end, what waves had spaces available. So definitely, I think that's an area where we're still learning and we're still trying to improve and it's getting better every event, but it can definitely be a challenge. Right. And then, so Daniel and Mike, like what, what are your thoughts, you know, as you guys are, you know, looking to, you know, host events later down the road? Like I know my, cause we haven't had a chance to host an event since March either. And, and my take on it is I'm kind of in the, same lines as, you know, David and Julie is, I don't really want to do on site. I, I think I just get worried about the congregation of people at the registration tents would worry me more than anything else, even though we're planning on doing, you know, where we usually have like a 10 by 20 or a 10 by 30 registration, we're planning on doing a 10 by 50 or 10 by 60 and try and spread everybody out even further. So what are, what's your guys thoughts on, on that? Well, uh, thanks, Julie, for sharing all that. Uh, you know, we haven't we haven't done it yet, and I I figured there would be a learning curve with it too on on how to you know how to space people, how to actually make it go quickly, and how to have people end up in the right places. Most of our events, uh, our parks cap us, and and we do sell out ahead of time. So generally, we just you know we don't deal with race morning registrations. Uh, unless, you know, the week of we get, we'll make an announcement and be like, hey, you know, spots opened up. If you do want to come out last minute, uh, we'll be ready for you. So my, my initial reaction, uh, you know, is just for simplicity's sake is, you know, you, you're going to know ahead of time whether you want to race or not without having done it yet, uh, the confusion that could be created. Um, after hearing Julie, I'd be okay with, with giving it a try and putting some systems in place. Uh, but my initial thought is uh, online only just for the, the simplicity's sake of having a nice streamlined morning without any confusion. So we haven't uh, had a chance to do a run since March either, Jeff. Um, we have, but like everybody else, like all of us, we've been spending time coming up with new SOPs and new standards. And we have the uh, benefit of having our own timing company as well. Right. So they've been, they've been focused on the registration side. We are going to take race day registrations. We'll close everybody that's registered, say up to two days or three days before and have those pre-packaged. But we'll have a we'll have a an outpost. The idea now on paper, we haven't done it yet, is to have a, an easy app out there that says you register here and you have to register on your own phone. And we'll go through, we use run sign up or active, uh, both of which have dynamic bib assignment. So, you know, we'll just hold a batch of numbers out and if Jeff Stoner comes up, you register on your own phone and we'll call your name when it comes into the system and, and hand you your bib to get rid of that congregation. I think, um, I think one of the big things that I'm, I would hope that runners kind of can take away from this conversation or even information that's being put out there for races is the fact that it's going to make it a lot easier for all race directors if you like, like David said, if you know you, you're going to run or you, you want to run a race, get signed up with, you know, for it, you know, a week or two in advance. So that way we're, you're not having to worry about the on-site last minute, like, okay, I'm going to, I have to go there. Do I have to stand in line? Do I, you know, as, as you're saying, Mike, yeah, you still can go through and sign up and do the dynamic thing, but you're still, I just want to try and eliminate people just standing around in groups as, as much as possible. Right. So I think my big takeaway is, is like, if you know you're going to do a race or you want to do a race, 
then get signed up, you know, prior to, so you don't have to worry about it. You can just go to the registration uh, table, grab your bib, grab your shirt and get out of there and go to, go to your area where you, before you start to start. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Jeff. I'm looking at some of our events, you know, the, the road races that we do and I need to beach stuff is one matter. If you're doing one of the events on Catalina Island, right? We're, it, we're, I look at it more as accommodating the runner. Yes, we want the runner to sign up early. And I think going forward, you know, the runners are we're going to go back to a bit with the runners having more responsibility of their own cups and bottles and stuff like that. But if somebody pays the cost to come over there, we want to be able to accommodate them. So we've been thinking through how do we accommodate that runner as much as we can. Yeah. So let's, let's talk start lines again for just a quick minute. I mean, we talked about getting in groups of 25 and sending them out. I've also heard from other race directors that you pretty much, as soon as you, you know, as you, if you picked up your packet on site, you were, they were, they were assigning, and I can't remember what race this was for, but they would end up assigning a time, a start time for that group as they came up or that person that they came up and, and like, Hey, you're going to have to wait in your car until until the race begins. If, if you've, if a race has that opportunity where the parking lot is right next, next to it, one, what's your thought process on that? And anybody can answer this and two. I think one of the big things too, that we're looking at and what we put in operations as well. And, and Dave, you can answer this, but um, you know, face masks, obviously you don't really need them on the, on the course or on the trails. That's fine. But it's, it's going to be a big thing for any race moving forward at this point in time that, if you're standing around, whether it's, you know, at the registration line or in that small group of 25, um, that you're going to have to wear a face mask. Is, are, are, is everybody in agreement on that? That you guys did you guys do that, Julie and, and Dave, when when you guys first started? Absolutely. So the way that we did that was, um, we moved our start line to an area that we could set it up the day before. We did the same start lines, real nice scaffold and everything. And it was a huge area where 25 people would be like, you know, 25 people in a half a football field. So nobody congregated underneath the start line. Not many people even used the start line. They came and did pictures in front of our, you know, printed scaffold wraps and stuff. But there was so much space and we did that purposefully so that um, we gave people the option. If you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. It wasn't a mandate in Minnesota when this happened. So we gave people the option. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, I, I think that's kind of common knowledge at this point that any volunteer or any staff member you've got on site is always yeah. going to have a mask on at any point in time. And I think that's important for, for the runners to know. And maybe this can be our next conversation is what the staging area looks like or what the start area looks like, right? Like um, going in back into the face mask deal. But, you know, with our, with our events and the operations plan that we've got put into play is we're going to have – you know, extra hand washing stations uh, included with the bathrooms. We're going to have extra hand sanitizer locations, probably every, a, a hand, uh, some kind of hand sanitizer on every table, social distancing signs, you know, placed around the, the start finish staging area um, as well. But whenever you see one of our staff, it's, you know, that staff member is going to be in a, you know, six feet away from somebody. They're going to have a face mask on and everything else. I think that's important for the runners to understand that when you guys come, you're going to, you're going to have to understand that there's going to be a lot of social distancing areas that are going to, you know, you're going to have to get put into play into. So just make sure if you come in with a small group of people or a family of people that that family is in the understanding that that's, 
you're going to see that. And it might s- slow things down with how the races happen, you know, and, and that's one of the things from our start perspective is I'm going to, well, they're doing staggered starts, but I'm also going to extend out the length of the start, right? So if our half marathon, we're going to have a 45 minute window for our half marathons to start. If you can get there, if, if it's in groups of 20, great. If it's, if you show up 40 minutes into the start of the race, you can still start with the, with the half marathon. So, and then it's 45 minutes or an hour to the half marathon, 45 minutes to an hour for the 10 K. That way people can kind of just, if they don't feel comfortable even starting within that 25 the group of 25, then they can start individually and just go whenever they want during that time frame. as long as there's not a group of 25 already going. I think it makes all the sense in the world, right? I, I think that a couple of times it's been mentioned on here, and I think we can't say it enough. It's about communicating to the athletes and communicating. Yeah. It's, it's not just posting it on Facebook, but it's, it's that plus website plus emails. And I just think in total transparency and I'm sure you guys have, uh, we've all done this. We've taken multiple or several different surveys from the athletes to see when would they be interested in coming back and, and what kind of mitigations they want. And the first thing that pops up to me is they just want to, you know, one of the biggest things is the athletes are saying, what are you going to be doing? What are, what are, what are you going to do to help us with this? Whether it's social exactly. or whatever, you know, we, we have a couple plans, right? On, on Catalina, it's one plan because there, there's kind of automatic social distancing since you start going uphill in about 400 yards. So um, that, that separates people in any year, let alone now. So I'm with you, Jeff, in that case, it's kind of like, we're going to start every minute, three people abreast and, you know, or every two minutes, you know, depending what we could do with the, with the safety over there um, and give the athletes some flexibility when they would feel comfortable. I mean, in, in, in these times, it's, uh, it's where, where I, I see us as just, we're, we're providing a fun, safe outlet for people. And, you know, the more flexible that we can be with that, uh, you know, communication included, uh, the better experience it is going to be for people that are quarantined up at home that are going to get to go out and have a semi-social experience out there. It's a little bit less strict uh, in terms of like the rules for timing or finishing times, you know, if, uh, if there's no prizes at the end, no age group awards or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's providing a, a kind of like a fun run venue versus versus like a full on competitive event. Um, you know, we've got our range of athletes, those that are trying to get times and then those that, that want to get out of the house and experience nature. So you know, one of the things that I thought about too, and this is what I've talked about with, you know, the, the way the start lines are, are different as far as the amount of people going out. I mean, with like a race announcer, let's uh, let's say, I mean, you know, Julia, with, with your announcer today with yours, like if you've got groups of 25 going out at any given point in time, I mean, I, I look at it as, you know, our, as our race announcer, like, okay, he might make just one announcement right at the beginning but to continuously make that same announcement over and over and over again for, for two hours, right. Or for an hour and a half, it, it's a little tough. So, you know, two and a half hours. Right. Two and a half. Yeah. So, and, and that comes down to the finish, to the finish aspect of it too. Right. And I, I think sometimes, you know, as runners, you get, you get used to like you love hearing your name, get called at the, at the finish line, but as the, as the race gets separated out, the race gets longer and longer and longer. And, and there's you know, other times that we might not have that race announcer there. What did you guys do as far as 
Julie, as your, as your race announcer goes, did you guys have somebody there the entire time as people were going through, or did you kind of allocate your announcer for like to help out in other aspects of it while you know, the race is going on? Cause that's kind of what I'm, I'm considering doing is, Hey, here's a, we extend our communication prior to the event, mm-hmm. right? We, we make sure that we have all the information given out, uh, maybe even written out to some degree is here's the course uh, points of interest and then have him make one, one announcement and just, and go with it, you know? So what did you guys do? Yeah. So um, for us, our race announcer is the race director. Um, so what we did is put out a virtual race briefing the week before um, and, and also had a, a written race manual participant guide. Um, so we really encourage participants to read through that, watch that. Um, and then what I did for my events was the first thing in the morning, I would give a long full race briefing. And then because our waves were five minutes apart, I would just give like a 30 second to a minute just short summary for all the rest of the waves, um, basically just covering course markings. Um, For some of our events, we changed up the course a little bit to avoid some out and backs on single track. So I would just hit the highlights really quickly. um, And that worked quite well, I think. I think part of the race briefing um, is getting the runners excited as well. So I didn't want to not say anything, but like, hey, good luck, have fun. I think it's beneficial to talk a little bit about the course and what they're going to expect. So yeah, just keeping it short and sweet. Um, And then, you know, we did stay through the whole event. So we were there for the finish for everybody. I had one of my events had a separate start and finish. And luckily, because we have a couple different race directors and all race directors have been at all events right now. just for the extra support. So we were able to have one race director at the finish and one race director at the start. Um, And then our events are a little bit longer as well. So there's very little overlap between, there's actually no overlap between starting and finishing. So it's also nice. David, what'd you guys do? The firecracker, we have a different start and finish line. So what I did, because I was in, in the communication since I was the one that wrote these emotional essays and very touching pieces and added my cell phone. I was, I was at the start line the entire time. Um, so people could put a name to a face and it was, you know, I had, I put a, I wrote out a routine. I had it on a, a clipboard. I was stood up in the scaff tower. And uh, typically we always start this event with a big firecracker at the start of the 10 K and five K. So we didn't do a big one, but we did like a M 80 for every wave that went out so that it was tradition still going on. And, same thing with Julie. We, you know, I, I, I did a, a quick overview on course safety, course markings, and 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 a big thank you to everybody. And uh, um, so I did that for every wave. And then we had one of our staff, Hunter, was at the finish line. And it's difficult to, if you've ever announced events when they're coming in the finish, like Julie said, you want to make sure that you know, you're upbeat and, and supportive and positive for every finish, every single finisher. So um, it's hard when it's a ghost town, but Hunter, I, I heard, I wasn't there, so I didn't get to see it, but I heard he did a very good job. And, you know, he's saying the same things over and over again, but nobody but him knows that and the other staff. So, um, but, he, you know, every single person that came in, it was a, it was a rally for them. You know, music at bowls, start and finish the entire time. Um, yeah, we, so I've been kind of trying to figure that, that portion out there is, 
you know, like I said, it's, it's great to have that always had that announcer there and making those statements as they go. And, but it, it's, it gets really like becomes a really long day, especially when you don't have a separate start and yeah. finish area for that and stuff. But all right. So since we're on the, we're still on the topic of, of start lines. And I, I think the next, my next topic is, is probably of one of the most important uh, is bathrooms. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many, like, so typically when you, like, that was one of the things that we're going to end up doing is adding more bathrooms with more hand-washing stations. Did you guys see any issues with um, the congregation at, at the bathroom lines? Did you end up having to do any kind of social distancing signs with anything or any kind of like stanchions to kind of separate? Because what happens with our events, regardless of how many porter potties I put out there, we all end up in one or two lines and everybody's just kind of like, all grouped in that that area so and that's it's kind of weird but like honestly toilets are like one of the most important aspects of of a, of a race when you think about it i mean you, you don't want you don't want people getting getting kind of all mashed up over there so what did what do you guys have thoughts on on sep, helping separate out and keeping people distance out in the, in the bathroom lines that was kind of the beauty of the wave starts is we didn't have that issue that at is. all. I mean, we did order extra restrooms um, just to have that available. And at all of our events, we had some portable restrooms, but then we also had access to restrooms within um, the facility where we were. But yeah, I mean, the normal 50 person line that you have right before the event starts, it just wasn't there because the starts were so spread. So. Right. Cause that is one thing you think of especially in you know today is like all right well you got all these people using the bathroom and touching the handles and everything else and yeah there's typically it's some kind of foam hand wash in there or something but I mean you're right though the fun run aspect of it is it sets us up for a different way to do it you know like yeah um I, I remember back to the days of of when I competitively did races and triathlons and Xterra and yeah, get your routine in the morning and your coffee your oatmeal or whatever and you, you're gonna have you're gonna have to get rid of that before you go give it your all for two and a half hours or two hours and if right. it was a if it was a event like some of yours i would i would have done porta potties for sure so let's stick with the staging area for right now and, and the finish lines because one of the things that i've kind of battled with is do we or don't we do awards um at the finish line do we just do because Typically, we'll end up doing overall awards for both categories. Then we end up doing age groups. And my thing is, is you know, you get all people to congregate there. You get people handing handing prizes out and everything else. We're almost, I'm almost in the thought of just hey, we're not going to do awards on site, and we're just going to mail them out to to people. Um, and then on that same token, is I've also talked to race directors that have that have just pretty much been hey, grab your medal and go. You know, no, there won't be any congregating at the finish line or anything like that. What's what's everybody's take on how how awards should be done, or or even just getting people to grab their medal and, and take off? What's what's people's thoughts on that? I think if it was if we had a competitive event, and I think about the importance of the the age group awards to some people, the medals I think is an easy one. A finisher's medal is a you know easy one. I, I would say take it and go. Um, self-serve or have you know one person there um doing it but i think i mean i think age group awards and the top three kind of stuff i think it's pretty 
important and a lot of people are there for that reason. So if there's a way that you can do it safely, even if it's, you know, come back at three o'clock, just the winners will do a photo of you three on the podium and then move on. I, I would, I would try to do it if, if, if we had that type of an event, you know, right. we don't have any events like that, but. I think that's what we're thinking about Jeff is that we'll have pick up. We have a metal rack self-serve on the finisher metals, pick that up on your way out. Right. But one of the great things with, with um, you know, the tip timing and all the apps that are out there is you get your time as soon as you come across and you'll see the award finishers within a short time after the event finishes. So I think what Dave is saying, we're, what our plan is, is to say the course will close at this time, come back at X time. We're not going to have an award ceremony, but if you see on your phone that you received an award, you can come and pick it up. And if not, we'll mail it. Yeah. I, that's one of the things I've just kind of been going back and forth with is how we, you know, how do we do that? And, you know, A, do we just do the overall awards really quick? And then anybody who gets in, you know, age group, you know, we can always send something out to them or I don't know. I, I think that's just one of the things that I, it also depends on the size of your venue, right? Like if you've yeah. got a little bit bigger venue and you can spread people out, yeah. then it's definitely a possibility versus, you know, something that's like a really narrow spot. You know, no, it's, not, it's not, it's not worth it to, you know, to get everybody huddled together just to pass out a few awards. So I think, I think, I, I think we've all seen award ceremonies kind of diminishing over the last couple of years anyways. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for the big races, maybe they still like them, but in lieu of award ceremonies, what people, you know, a lot of athletes have wanted the, the beer garden and that kind of festival. And I, I just think those things are going to have to stay on hold here for a little while. Yeah. Um, you know, for the time being. And I think award ceremonies are part of them. It's the older demographic a lot of times that wants that award ceremony. But again, one of the nice things with the current timing is you can even set it up to text people that have won an award. Hey, you were second in your age group, come by at three o'clock and pick up your award. If, you know, if, if you're still around. But I, I think that the big award ceremonies, people standing shoulder to shoulder and clapping when they're running wife, husband, whoever goes and gets the award, is just going to have to be on hold for a little while. I was just going to say how we handled that um, finisher awards, we actually prepackaged in their race packet. So they got those in advance. Yeah. Um, the exceptions to that were for Tushers, the 100K was a buckle for that. So they got that when they crossed the finish line. Um, podium awards we did in person at the event um, because we have you know, Tushers had from a 20, a half marathon up to 100K. So as soon as we knew the top three male for the half marathon, we did the podium for it. Um, we had people stand individually on the podiums um, rather than having all three people up on them. Um, and then at one event, we, we spaced them out by like six feet and people were in a mask on the podium. So I mean, either way on that. Um, one, you know, you say that you know immediately what your time is when you cross the finish line, but the thing that does make it challenging is if somebody who is fast is in the 10th wave, you have to wait, you know, you get the, the first waves come in, but then you have to wait, you know, let's say wave one and the last wave were 50 minutes apart, you actually have to wait another 50 minutes to see if somebody that was in the last wave actually overtook somebody that was in the first wave. Um, so even though we ranked them by ultra sign up time, if we had somebody that signed up late, they would end up in a later wave 
ultrasound up rankings aren't always the most accurate. Um, so that is a little bit of a challenge. You know, if you have an event where the wave start times last for three hours, you have to wait three hours from the time first, second, and third cross the finish line before you can say with complete certainty that nobody was going to was going to overtake them. Um, but luckily, you know, we had four different distances in one event, so we only had an hour worth of waves for each event. Um, so, you know, it did mean that the top three people were waiting around for a while. Um, if they didn't want to wait, we would just give them their award um, and have them do the photo individually without the other people. But yeah, for age group awards, we mailed them out. Nice. Okay, so here's my last topic for this session, and, and it just kind of goes with what Mike just said is, you know, we're used to doing beer gardens at the finish line and, and barbecue and everything else, you know, I'm, and you guys can discuss and what you guys do at your finish line, typically for your runners, but my big thing is we're trying to figure out even if we should do food at the finish line. And when I say food, like a prepackaged option, we wouldn't obviously be preparing anything. What's everybody's takeaway from, from a food perspective, um, whether that's having a, having a beer garden where they just get one beer and hang out and go or not doing a beer garden or not doing food altogether. You know, what's, what's the thought process from everybody on that? When, with our event, Stoner, we, uh, a big piece of the tradition is a, the crawfish boil that we do. So we did that, but we packaged them in styrofoam, like Chinese styrofoam food containers. And, and, but did you have, did your staff do that or did, did yeah. um, somebody else do that for you? Our staff did it. Yeah. We had a tent set up like we, like we normally do. And instead of us serving it on a plate and they sit, hang around and have a paps, they would, uh, they just grabbed the box, grabbed their water and left. And then we switched our beer. Um, I mean, like right now it's legal in most places to have a beer to go. So we thought about doing beer to go, but the bar that's adjacent to our finish line area offered us the option to have any participant go there and redeem their beer at the bar, which was practicing per COVID guidelines as well. So yeah. that's that was nice for us. We didn't have to deal with the beer. People went to the bar and got it if they wanted it. And then, uh, and that was throughout the course of 10 hours, remember. So it wasn't something where everybody showed up at once or they could go the next day and get their beer at the bar. However, however that you work it out with that thing. But the, the food, um, we did it because it's a big piece to the event. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a little jealous of uh, Recess Factory and Julia that they've even had these events. So <laughs> my, my target right now is no. I, I mean, we'll have prepackaged food to go, but the beer gardens and stuff, I don't want any reason for a, a, a government official. Congregation, to, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's even the thing. Like even doing, even just having like a banana and orange or something, that people can snack on after the, after the event. It's like, I just don't, I just don't want to take that chance in anything. Right. It's, if we do anything, it'll be kind of, you know, we'll have staff prepackage it or we'll have a charity prepackage. Right. It. And, and my other thought is like, even if we do it, how can you do it safely where, you know, you're like, it's almost like a grab and go style, right? Like everything is packed all the same and you just lay it out on the table and you got one person handing bags out to, you know, people to go. I mean, that's kind of the only way I can think about doing it. So that that's way we did exactly that's that. What I would yeah. think. Okay. You know, when we used to, when I was directing the run Disney events, they had the fitful. If you guys have run across them and the fitful box that came out and they just, you got a box and you just had everything. Those, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, we'll just get charities and the old lunch bags. Like we all took to school and 
put them in a lunch bag and hand them out at the table afterwards. But as far as the rest of it, uh, we're just going to let that sit for a little while until the, the government gets used to saying yes again to events. Yeah, I, I just I, I look at that as you know that's always been a big part of our events, and I. Yeah, us too. I, I I would love to find a way to keep that, but I also know that we need to be smart about it and everything else. You, you know, Jeff, uh, like every every event has its own personality, so you you kind of make your call as to you know you got to have the crawfish somehow, you know. But uh, I think you you'll probably end up touching on it in in your aid station questions. But uh, trail racing is going to become more self sufficient, yeah. um, and that that's going to run across to the finish line too. If it's if it's not prepackaged and you don't have a clean plan for distribution, it's it's going to get sloppy. Liabilities there, and that that's not the personality you want for your race anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these elements that you feel are so vital to your race, like the beer garden, you know, we would say the same. That's a huge part of our races is just we have a really strong community here in Arizona. But runners right now are so happy to be out there racing again. Yep. So happy. It doesn't even matter. Like runners were telling me everything went so good. But honestly, if it all fell apart, I would have just been so stoked to be there. I wouldn't even care. All right, that'll do it for the Trail Life podcast today. That was part one of a two-part conversation in regards to the state of events and what races may look like coming up over the next couple months. We'd like to give a special thanks to our race director friends for coming out and joining the conversation. Mike Bone, Julie Neish, Daniel Weissauer, David Janovic, and Sam Lyons. This episode was brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. For over 65 years, Jack's has been helping people get outside and have fun. Jack's is your go-to place for clothing, footwear, and gear for everything adventure. Visit their website at jacksgoods.com for more information and store locations. That's jacks, J-A-X, goods.com. And a special shout-out for the music in today's episode by the Poor Dirty Astronauts. Lyrics by Matt Miles.